I wrote We Didn't Start the Fire in, uh, let's see, 1989. Uh, Sean Lennon actually came down to the studio. He was with a friend who was turning 21 at the time. And the friend was saying, oh, yeah, it's a tough time to be 21. And I remember saying to him, yeah, yeah, I remember when I turned 21, it was tough, too, because we had the, you know, the civil rights upheavals and the Vietnam War and the drug thing was really starting to get big. And, and he said, yeah, yeah, but you grew up in the 50s and nothing happened in the 50s. I said, wait a minute, did you ever hear of the Korean War? Did you ever hear of the Hungarian uprising? You know, a lot of stuff happened in the 50s. And I decided, you know what? This is just when I was turning 40 years old. And I said, I'm going to sum up headlines from my life. And I started in the year 1949. I said, okay, who was president when I was born? Harry Truman, who was a big movie star, Doris Day. What was going on uh, in the world politics? China went communist, Red China. Pop singer, Johnny Ray. Johnny Ray's? South Pacific was a big show. Walter Winchell was a big journalist. Joe DiMaggio was a big uh, athlete at the time. And I, I went year by year. That was the year 1949. And I went to 1959. I went to 1951, 52, 53. And every verse has a year until you get to the late 60s. And then things start to accelerate. It speeds up, uh, which it seems like what happened in time for me. And then I, you know, it was basically the history of the Cold War from 1949, 1989. And um, not much of a melody. One of the worst melodies I ever wrote. But the, the propulsion of, of the uh, rhythm and the lyrics just can't pretty much create the song itself. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Jeffskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Joel A to Z as today we begin the letter W. Two years in the making, we finally made it to Billy's third and final number one hit, We Didn't Start the Fire. A song that you never could have imagined being a Billy Joel number one hit after hearing a moving out, one might say. And not just a number one hit, kind of like the way they do in the NCAA tournament where there are four number one seeds, but there's an actual number one of the number one seeds. This is actually his greatest number one hit. The song released on September 18th, 1989, one month before the album Stormfront was released, entered the charts at 58 on October 14th, 1989, moved up to 40 on week two, to 28 on week three, to 13 on November 11th, and to six the week after that, to number two on December 2nd. And the only thing in its way with the big phonies, Millie Vanilli, and Blame It on the Rain. But 
On December 9th, 1989, Billy was finally back to number one after nine years. No one knew where it came from. No one understood why they liked it, but everyone was fascinated by it. And there was nothing on the charts like it. We were talking Phil Collins, Janet Jackson, Bon Jovi. There was no song like this out there. Was it rock? Was it hip hop? Well, whatever it was, it somehow worked then, and it continues to work now as a goddamn encore song every month at Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's got people on its feet. Am I am I wrong, Alon? That's right. Even the handicapped. Yeah, right. We Didn't Start the Fire is considered a, a list song. It has fast-paced lyrics that include references to 118 significant political, cultural, scientific, and sporting events between Billy Joel's birth year of 1949 and 1989 in mostly chronological order. It was nominated for Record and Song of the Year and really should have had an easy path to winning as the other songs were st- stupid like mike and the mechanics the living years the fine young cannibal she drives me crazy never want to hear that again and don henley's the end of the innocence which is okay but it ain't don henley's greatest song there's always one troublemaker and billy lost out to bet midler's wind beneath my wings and let's face it ah. it is a hilarious staple as uh, any episode of seinfeld will tell you uh, <laughs> right does that song mention pasternak it does no, it not. Does not. No. no, you're right. Excellent point. Excellent point, Alon. He was also nominated for this song for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance, along with, oh, I don't know, Roy Orbison and Prince and all those geniuses. And I'm not using the term lightly in that case. Lost out to Michael Bolton. The 1990 Grammys were hilarious. Let's face it. On October 21st, 1989, Billy played this song on Saturday Night Live, which I was there. More about that later. Once again, there is another awful video, this time directed by Chris Blum, who after this was made, was erased from existence. Were you going to say something, Alon? Well, I'm trying to think who that even is. Yeah, so you're right. Exactly. I, yeah. There's no information on him. No information. Chris Blum. It would have been better directed by Eve Plum instead of Chris Blum. Thank you. Or Judy Bloom. <laughs> Over the years, this song has just gotten stronger. And there's been so many parodies or singing of the actual song on television and movies such as Veep, The Goldbergs, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Parks and Recreation, Two and a Half Men, 30 Rock, and of course, The Simpsons and Family Guy. Well, it's getting dark. We should probably start a fire. Man, how do we do that? Hey, do you think there's directions about starting fires in the song, We Didn't Start the Fire? I don't think so. I better go through it all. Stuff, stuff, stuff and stuff. History and stuff and stuff. People, people, someone's name. History and sports. Big disaster, someone's name. Stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. History, someone's name. Something I don't know. Famous guy, movie star, don't know who these people are. Stuff and stuff and history, yelling really loud at me. Okay, how's the fire coming? The cast of The Avengers, when Endgame came out, saying a parody of it on The Tonight Show in just 2019. Billy has been asked over the years multiple times to do a part two, but we know what that answer is. I mean, just ask this guy to write one new goddamn song. So you either love this song or you hate it, and there is no in-between. Blender Magazine rated this 
the 41st worst song ever <laughs> in 2004, comparing it to a term paper scribbled the night before it's due, <laughs> and then criticized Billy's attempt to fit a cultural history of the 20th century into four minutes, which is hilarious because so many people say the exact opposite, being impressed that he fit 40 years into four minutes. Then you have to also respect the fact that this isn't a 305 song. It's a 420 song or 440, depending on which version you hit. And for a pop hit number one song, that's even a miracle. This song also appears on 2000 Years, the Millennium Concert, 12 Gardens Live, live at Shea Stadium, live at Yankee Stadium, Greatest Hits Volume 3, and yes and no on the My Lives compilation album as it is part of the DVD of the River of Dreams live tour disc. So I guess we'll just say it actually doesn't appear on that. You know, I'll tell you, Salon, it would be nice to hear a demo of this one. I mean, that would be interesting as hell, right? See what he's gotten so far, but... Yeah, see what references he had to throw out. Yeah, no such luck. All right, Alan, get ready for this. These rankings are hilarious. They're, it's exactly what everyone is thinking about this song. You either love it or you hate it. And that is what's happening in these rankings. And I mean, it is somebody gets it and somebody doesn't. Let's go with Christopher Bananos. Alan. Where do you think he's going? Yeah, this is tough. You know, I was thinking when you said you either love the song or you hate the song, it reminded me of that Mitch Hedberg joke where he's like, people either love me or hate me or think I'm okay. And, <laughs> and, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just assume like, okay, maybe Bananos hates the song, but loves that it was a number one and puts it right in the middle at like 60. But I think, I think he's in just the hate camp and I'm just going to say 120. You've got it exactly right. <laughs> wow. What? Yeah, 120. Yay! 120 out of 121. He has the house of blue light higher than this song. <laughs> he says the biggest problem song for the Billy Joel apologist because it's highly popular and inescapably, inescapably bad. So much is wrong here. Boomer generation narcissism. The tri-state area news myopia. Hypodermics on the shore, Bernie gets. The Iffy Rhymes, James Dean with Winning Team, among many others. The double mention of the Dodgers. Why didn't I put it dead last? He says, <laughs> it gets one point for its classroom value. I will admit that I had to look up who Singman Ree was. Did I say that right? Uh, yeah, good enough. Well, I can't. I don't know what that word is unless I'm singing the song. Then I know exactly how to pronounce it. Right? When I see it in print, I'm like, what? Now, Glenn Gamboa puts it at 12 i mean what Man. a difference he goes it is a songwriting feat see he says the opposite of what blender magazine said condensing 40 years of history into five minutes of rhymes and images but it's a great song because of the chorus and no we didn't light it but we tried to fight it says volumes about joel's generation and how it looks at history and classically the fans rank it at 50 Okay, right exactly, because half middle. the fans love, half the fans hate. Exactly. Right so, Alon, I will just start you off. Wait, wait, before you do, I want to know, have we done Bananos' number 121 yet? Can you tell me what it is? What is the one song that's worse, according to him? Oh, it was the Mexican Connection. Oh, what a bum. Yeah, 
I love the Mexican connection. I'm yeah. going to put that at 10. Love that song. Okay. I'm just going to explain everything to everybody. I've been waiting for this song. I worship this song. Or at least I definitely used to. And then when he plays it in concert, I still love it. Now, we all know the kind of Billy Joel fan I am, and it's a weird one. But before this song came out, I was all in. I mean, I just couldn't get enough, as you know, of Allentown and played it over and over again, loved it. So the question is, you know, have I ever liked any of the songs before the Nylon Curtain? And yeah, I love Glass Houses. And I didn't really know any of the other stuff until later. And then he just kept coming out with new stuff. So I liked everything that was new. I don't know what it is about this song, but I got a connection to this song for all the wrong reasons because it's a I'm, we're all in agreement. It's a stupid song <laughs> and and you don't know why you like it. I, quite frankly, I, Alana, I don't even know whether you like it. Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure either. Yeah, I guess that's the kind of song it is. Yeah. But but we are in agreement when we're at that concert. It's fun. It's incredibly fun. That's the thing about the song. It's so fun, but you have to just look past all the things that you shouldn't like about it to have. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. We get it, folks. We get that you might hate this song. You listen to the Billy Joel podcast and you're probably just like, I am not listening to the We Didn't Start the Fire one. I don't care because this was, as Chuck Klosterman says in his um, the book, uh, what was it the Cocoa Puffs thing or whatever it was? This is how this is the song that Billy Joel jumped the shark. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he's right. It, it's like Billy Joel jumped the shark at this song. Like he wasn't the moving out the stranger album billy joel anymore he was a different guy and you either stuck with him or you didn't right yeah and also it really just hurt when you're like a billy joel fan trying to convince your friends that billy's pretty cool and you spend your whole life saying no but look at this song hey that's billy joel he's pretty cool and then like uptown girl comes out and you have to defend him again and you're like, but what about my life remember that that was a good one too and some yep. of the stuff on the bridge was okay and then this comes out and you're like all right i gotta yep. start from square you're one again yep no it's over yeah it's weird it's very weird. So, okay, this song comes out 1989. I am working in the World Trade Center on the 88th floor of the World Trade Center, and this song comes out, and I am obsessed. I think it's the greatest song ever, but not like I never, ever thought it was the greatest song Billy Joel ever did. I just love the song, and because I love Billy Joel, I'm like, oh, my God, he's so great, <laughs> you know? So I just, I, I don't know what it was about the song. I Maybe... Being a history major, it got to me, but certainly... What was your GPA in college in history? Shut up, you son of a bitch. I have <laughs> it right here in front of me, unfortunately. I, You know, I had to get it when I became a teacher. I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, are you still going to let me teach here? They're like, we just need to see you made up the credits. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever the case may be, I mean, the rhyming... This is a perfect white guy's rap. And during that time... This was good enough for me, <laughs> you know, because I didn't understand anything else. But I was obsessed. I was trying to memorize this song, and I don't know for the life of me why. And I just used to sing this song at the office on the 88th floor of the World Trade Center. And I think I got fired because I couldn't stop. I could not stop. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you telling us that you might have survived a national tragedy 12 years later because of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire? That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Unbelievable. Listen, my last job was for 20 years. There's every indication that I would have ended up there during September 11th. 
Un- that is unreal. When I say last night a DJ saved my life, I say a BJ, and I'm talking about Billy Joel. Let's just make that clear. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> but this, so the best part is, is I will never forget this. And obviously this is what, 30, 40 years ago. Is it 40 years ago already? It's about 35 years ago, right? Yeah, 34 years ago. And I can remember it so vivid. First of all, working at that place was unbelievable. It was so weird. Like everybody's offices, it's like that's what people pay to see. It was like you can't do work when the curvature of the earth is behind you. It's so fucked up. You just can't live a normal life doing that. If you're trying, you're pretending to do work. It's one thing when you see a movie where you're seeing the ferry go by or something, but it's truly another thing to just see the curves of the earth <laughs> like because you're so high up or the fact that you know that building was swaying during a storm. It was terrifying. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget one of the guys that worked there. I don't, I don't know his name. He was an older guy. I wonder if he was older than I am now. I don't know. But he just would come in humming it too because everybody was humming it. Oh, I, I love that song. Babies from Thalidomide. That's the part he would always say. <laughs> and that's the part I always remember. Babies from Thalidomide. And, oh, that's a great one. That's the, the chorus he'd always reference. It was hilarious. And, and he'd be doing a little jig while he was doing it. And he had it all wrong anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was totally obsessed. And then when the tour came out, we got, I don't know how I got tickets. Like, I don't remember how I get, how you get tickets when you're younger. I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't know who got it. I don't know how I got it, but I went that this is where I can't figure out whether I went to Boston or or I saw it in New York. I want to say Boston. And I went with Kevin Brennan and I'm pretty sure Neil Brennan and I, and, and Danny Vermont. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we went up to Boston for some reason. I don't know why, but that's where I guess we could get tickets. And also, if you know this manager, Jason Steinberg, who used to be Chappelle's manager for a period of time, and he was a huge Billy Joel fan, too. We were there and we're sitting separately like he's up. Jason Steinberg is up a little far, but me and Kevin and Neil and Danny are somewhere else. And when he starts that song, it's like they were all looking at me like, hey, this is just got so <laughs> like, I don't know why. Like, this guy knows all the words, everybody. Yeah, I knew. All the words I had it completely memorized. And for what purpose? What purpose does it serve to want to? I mean, I studied it. I didn't care what it meant. I didn't care who the people were because later we're going to go over some of the ones I never understood and maybe still don't to this day. I just didn't care. We've talked about this before. You've mentioned before how I just don't listen to lyrics. I listen yeah. to the melody. But for some reason, I needed to know these lyrics and sing it every day. 24 hours a day. I don't know what it is about this song. I know what it is. Okay. This song hooked you really early in the song because the second name he mentions is Doris Day. And I feel like that is your wheelhouse. Hey, everybody. You got that right, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) Good Doris Day Rock Hudson movie. (laughs) Pillow Talk's one of my favorites. She's good. <laughs> it's got Doris Day. It's got Marilyn Monroe. It's got Liberace. Hello, I'm hooked. 
But uh, that's right. <laughs> the three gay icons. <laughs> They're all there. Interesting. I wait. Now I'm second guessing why I like. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's so funny because the first thing of lyrics, like everyone knows the first verse. Everyone knows it starts off Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Wright. Like even if you don't know it, you know that part, and then the rest of it you forget. Yeah. And that just doesn't even add up that anyone would even know that part. Well, it's like that classic scene in Tommy Boy with David Spade and Chris Farley, where they're in their car singing along to a song that this is like, It's the End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. And they're just like, six o'clock, TV on. And they start, that's how everyone is with this song. You start like mumbling after the first few words that you know. Yeah, right, right, right. So actually, it. I guess we were going to bring that up eventually. It That song... The end of the world as we know it came out two years earlier than this. So you have to wonder if he heard that and said, oh, I should do that. Well, Billy has no track record of ever doing something like that. So I can't even believe you would suggest (laughs) such a thing. Not Billy Joel. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not a So people say, you know, what's the difference between these two songs? It's also a, a list song, too, or a patter song. I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. So, but here's the difference. I was going over them both. And the fact is, just to make it worse for the people that hate this song, I mean, and never forget that I just absolutely love this song. And again, I don't know why, but I get that it's stupid. And Billy Joel is just listing shit. He's just listing shit. It's like it's like that the blender said. It's like he's just scribbling. It's like he cheated. <laughs> like he just plagiarized from or uh, what? What do they call it now? Uh, CG the, the the chat GPT. The chat P- GPT just made the song for it, <laughs> and it is it's good and bad in that sense. The rhyming works, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's silly, but for me, it works. Whatever. And the R.E.M. song has an edge to it, and there's also an opinion about it. This song has no opinion whatsoever except for possibly I can't take it anymore and what else do I have to say? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. And and that's it. And the, the way the R.E.M. song opens up, it's like, that's great. It starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and airplanes, and Lenny Bruce is not afraid. There's already like three opinions in there that the world's truly ending. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a, uh, it's a, it. That's a fascinating song too, and that's even faster than this one. And that's that's one nobody could memorize because it's all over the place. But it cer- certainly is a great song. But this is just like there's just there is no opinion to it. He's just he's not even stating facts. He's just listing some names. It's weird. Just, just, 
things that fit the scheme of rhyme, basically, in a pretty much chronological order, which is nice that he puts them in order. And I'd say there's a good realm of like, even though like you mentioned in one of the reviews, I guess that's Bananos who said that it's really very tri-state centric. I thought he kind of hits a lot of areas, though. You got a lot of Asia stuff, Middle East, Europe. Five presidents, six movie stars, 10 movies or plays, six sports references, and just boxing and baseball, that is. Yes. Here's the 1955, three Disney references just that year. Yeah, Davy Crockett, Peter Pan, Disney, not all in the same sense of three Disney things, but makes sense. 55 is a huge year. He was six years old. He was right in the Disney wheelhouse. So here's the thing, again, also about the song before we you know, just get into the list. This song again doesn't make any sense that we okay we we can make a case that it got to number one in the 80s the 80s were a mess you know this like i just said millie vanilli they didn't even sing and they were at number one for like two weeks so the 80s are a mess besides the real ones like a janet jackson or prince or something you know mm-hmm. and and this song, you could make a case. Of course, it went to number one in the 80s. This is like the streak. Going to number one in the 70s, you know, like where yeah. he couldn't, where don't go changing or whatever the fuck I, you know, just the way you just are. Just the way you are. I forgot again. Doesn't go to number one because the, the streak is number one because it's a novelty song. It's a novelty song, but it has stayed with us. For so long, it's like, and then just the fact that it's an encore that he only plays, he doesn't play just the way you are. He doesn't play Tell Her About It. He plays this song. You would think for sure this would be the one he cuts and doesn't play, especially for the encore. No, but it's such a good crowd pleaser because everyone just waits. To sing JFK, Blown Away, What Else Do I Have to Say? It's a and, crazy crowd pleaser. <laughs> and a few other lines. You just wait for those moments that you do know, and it, that gets exciting. It's not even like the chorus is good. No one sings the chorus. Who cares? No, don't care. And he's also said, this is the worst song, melody-wise, he's ever written. He hates it. Yeah. So what's wrong with It sounds like us? a dentist's drill. Yeah. So what the fuck is wrong with us? The, the crowd at MSG, <laughs> we're, we're sitting, he's got, this guy is like Mr. Melodic and his lyrics are amazing. And yet this is the song we're waiting two hours for <laughs> to stand up and party. This rap is a crowd. Pleaser. Trouble in the Suez. Yeah. yeah. Take that Suez. I mean, this song is a miracle of existence. It's just, it just won't quit. And it got, and I got to tell you, it's something else about it, too. And I'm sorry I'm taking so much time, but, you know, I just have such a connection to this stupid song. During COVID, it got a resurgence on Twitter. I mean, it's always been there where people are parroting it all the time. But during COVID, uh, in fact, my buddy, Mike Royce, I don't know. He's not been on the show yet. And uh, we went to college together, you know, with Danny Vermont and everything. And he's a showrunner in Hollywood. And apparently his tweet during COVID, like March 12th, was like, Billy Joel should do a new version of We Didn't Start the Fire that covers just like the last 10 minutes. You know, March 12th, (laughs) 2020. Yeah. And people just went off on that. There were like two people that wrote something about that. And then they all started writing new lyrics. 
School closed, Tom Hanks trouble in the big banks, no vaccine, quarantine, no more toilet paper scene, travel ban, Weinstein, panic, COVID-19, NBA gone away, what else do I have to say? <laughs> Something like that. I mean, <laughs> there was a whole bunch of lyrics like that 30 years later, and it's just such an impact song, and nobody's talking, I mean, they weren't, they, what they should be talking about more is, it's the end of the world as we know it. Everything's going down, but they're, t- they're talking about this song. Yeah, it's the most parodiable song. Parodiable. Yeah, whatever that word is. It's so easy and it's so fun to do. And any tragedy like COVID just brings it out of people. Home and shorts, Christmas show, marches swing, Homer's bro, Barton well, Flanders tails, whacking snakes, monorail, Mr. Plow, Homer's face, Sideshow Bob, steps on rakes, Lisa's future, Selma's hubby, March not proud, Homer chubby, Homer worried, thought his game, Hoochie, you two, and our Hippies, Vegas, and Japan, our couplets, and March Boy Band, Marge murmurs, more croaks, Lisa Buddha's Homer talks, Taggy blows, burns away, what else do I have to say? We'll never stop the sensor. It's just like. It's so easy, I, I, like, like uh, it's the end of the world that, as we know it, like it's harder, it's faster, it's not as, this is so rhythmic that you could just put anything to it and make it work. It's and when like, people say like, why didn't Billy, why don't, why doesn't he write a new version of it? Or when they even ask like us, like, are you going to do a parody that's going to be like the latest 30 years or something? Like it's been done 400 times and everyone who has done it has done a pretty good job of it. Yeah, agreed. And, but it's, this is more like an, you know, a, a third grader could put this together and the REM song is too intense. Yeah. But this one, yeah, a, a, an elementary school kid could parody this because it's easy and it's parochial. All you need is time and effort because it's just as long. It's like, like you said, he mentions 118 things in this. And so to make a parody where you have to think of 118 things or so, that's hard. So you might only do a one or two verses and say, ah, that's good enough. But otherwise, yeah, a, a kindergartner can do this. And one more thing. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! It's Saturday Night Live! With Dana Carvey!
Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio. Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Student Baker, Sullen Vision, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe. Okay, so let me tell you another thing about me. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> well, I've been waiting to tell this story for since we started the podcast because yes, I, so I knew an intern at Saturday night live in 1989. He got us in to see Billy Joel do the sound check for this and down Easter Alexa on that day on whatever I just said, November or something, 1989. And we couldn't believe it. And me and Danny Vermont who's been on the show twice now got to see him do this song. And we were excited, really. I mean, first of all, that's the first time I'd ever seen Billy Joel up close like that. Secondly, um, on YouTube, they have a video of the soundcheck. And I'm probably in the video, but it's such poor 1989 quality that you can't see me because I'm I'm on the floor. You know, if you've seen Saturday Night Live and you see sometimes where people are in chairs in the front when they're asking the questions, like there were no chairs. And I'm right there. I'm like right at the stage. It, it's only me and Danny and two other people. It, it, it was a miracle. Although more people came in because they wanted to see Billy Joel. You know, the thing about Saturday Night Live is when there's a guest that everybody's into, people will pile in for just a sound check. Mm-hmm. You know, when U2 or Springsteen or Paul McCartney comes in, everybody comes in. Billy Joel's one of those people. You know, you're not going to see that with Taylor Swift. I'm joking. You will now. Uh, <laughs> and when we do our Taylor Swift podcast, I'll talk more about that. However, uh, no, but it's it, it, it was an amazing. So the best part about it that I can remember from, again, 35 years ago is that we were waiting to see how they were going to do Brooklyn's Got a Winning Team and the Psycho Sound Effects because we were looking to see who's going to do that because we see a keyboardist. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Liberty was there. Everybody, we don't see a computer. And Billy, I can't imagine Billy Joel himself is going to press the keyboard button with the sound effects, you know. But there they were. They were there. And we just looked at each other like, oh, my God, this, he's got the sound effect. Where'd they come from? And so they did both the sound effects. And you can see it online, but it's off. So somebody must have pressed a button. But I remember us looking at ourselves, just going like, oh, wow, the sound effect. That's all we were waiting for. I, it's funny because I watched the YouTube video yesterday of the of the aired performance on SNL. And I, when that sound effect went off for Brooklyn's Got a Winning Team, I, I made a mental note like, oh, that's pretty cool that they did the sound effect. Yeah, that's all we were thinking of, too. It was so weird because and it's so funny. This guy and his stupid sound effects, he fucking loves it. He can't stop himself. It's so funny. He just, he cannot stop it. He's like all the way from the stranger with the motorcycle all the way, or turnstiles with the with the siren in Miami 2017, still can't help himself. 20 years later, he's like, well, we should do with a crowd war for the psycho uh, thing, you know, but he loves those psycho things. We know that from Blonde Over Blue. Yeah, that's true. But boy, was that exciting watching that, watching him do at that time, truly my favorite song. I, you know, right. I was like, I don't know what day of the week it was. I'm like, what am I, an idiot? I can't believe I just said that. It was uh, a Wednesday. Yeah, boy, was that exciting. I just don't remember what time it was. You know, it certainly 
I don't think it was at night. I feel like it was in the day, like maybe two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. That was the first time I was ever at Saturday Night Live. That's before any of my friends were on it. That's before I even knew Sarah. I knew David Tell at that time. I didn't know it's before I met Sarah Silverman. I mean, it's just so long ago, and you were five. Yeah. I was soon to be six. <laughs> when you saw Billy Joel during the dress rehearsal or during the sound check, was he wearing his outfit already for the show? No, no, I don't think so. Because he had an interesting thing on his outfit. I don't know if you noticed, but on his black jacket, he's wearing a pin on his lapel and it's an anchor. Because this guy's got to be nautical. He has to be nautical. Well, he is doing the down Easter legs or so. So in this um, sound check, he also was doing Ed Sullivan imitations, which Danny and I again remember because we're like, God, he's so funny. We were like a bunch (laughs) of teenage girls. Like going to see Taylor Swift. I'm like, oh my God, he's so funny. And he's like, no, Topo, Jopo, whatever. Like he was, <laughs> he was doing that in between. He was, I think he was having a good time because we had seen the Down Easter Alexa where it didn't look like he was having a good time until somebody was clapping. Remember, we talked right. about that. But he seemed to be having a good time. I think he was happy that this song was going gang. But I listen, we know he gets happy when things are going well for him. And I don't know what chose him as we record this to stop the MSG show. I don't know if we finally got to him. Uh, we, we caused this. Somehow. Our fault. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but uh, we know he doesn't like any negativeness, but he must've been in a good mood. He must've seen all the people come out to just watch him do his sound check. And I think that was a good day for him. And goddamn, you know, it's like the reason I wanted to do this podcast. I, that day was the greatest day ever. Yeah. Well, speaking of why I want to do this podcast, I feel like this song is sort of the reason why the podcast started. Because originally this was this idea that we should do a podcast about this song. And every episode is about a different thing that he mentions in the song. And that just seemed so too uh, specific and historical. And also, I think other people are doing that kind of thing. Yeah. There, apparently there is a podcast that does that. And I'm like, boring. Yeah. And also, what is it, 118 things? Who has 118 episodes? That's way too long of a podcast. That's pathetic. Unbelievable. So instead, we decided on this, which we uh, were very happy with, our current style. A couple things about that SNL thing that I liked were, number one, Liberty is mouthing all the words with a lot of enthusiasm, which is cool that he knows all the words. That's unbelievable, too. Right. When the band knows all the words in the list song. (laughs) That's amazing. And, and then he has this lady playing cowbell. It's not Crystal. It's some other. He had a f- couple ladies in the band for this performance. And she's going at the cowbell with a lot of intensity. I saw that. And I feel like maybe Robert Smigel saw that and then thought years later of the cowbell sketch. Because I feel like Will Ferrell is doing this lady in that famous <laughs> sketch. Their well, moves are the same. That, that adds up. The timeline could work. And she's kind of doing the Phil Ramone. <laughs> her body's moving modern yeah. woman one <laughs> yeah oh that's great god that that made me so happy that's still this song is addictive it's just you don't know why i know we've said this just a hundred times i mean i would i can't wait to hear from you guys and and, and see what you think about the song i'm sure it's going to be mixed or is it just going to be everybody just hates this song and it's just me? It can't be just me. We've been at the garden. People love it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not just you. People love it. But I think everyone could admit, just like Billy, that it's melodically, this isn't exactly the song you want to, you know, if you're getting married, you're not walking down the aisle to some violinist playing this. No, you're not. (laughs) Maybe you will. (laughs) I'll go through the list of all my girlfriends before my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure it's okay, sweetie? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's such an affectionate song. I I love it. Everybody's going to be singing to it. Leslie and Dolores and I, mean, <laughs> I got a funny feeling he's gonna start a fucking war or something. I'm not sure yet, you know, but I, you know, but you know what I want you to do? Who's this guy? Who's this guy? Okay, so let's go to this part of the show that we call Who the Fuck is This Guy? <laughs> which yes, our long standing part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> which I took from the movie Casino, where Joe Pesci has to cover his mouth and he did it too because the, the FBI is reading his lips and some guy comes like, Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're talking about. We just chose. We're not going through every lyric, everybody. But we chose the ones we didn't know. That's it for this week, everybody. Join us next week when we continue the oddest Billy Joel song of all time. We didn't start the fire. Okay, so the one that I really had no idea was was the last one in the stanza, Santayana Goodbye. Oh, yeah. No, I got that one, too. Absolutely not. And I looked it up. Apparently, Santayana is the guy who did that song Smooth with Rob Thomas. Black Magic Woman. <laughs> Oye, oh, como va? He's good. Occupation. Stand-up philosopher. I didn't know who Tuscanini was. It's a pasta. Number one is Millie Vanilli with the girl I'm going to miss you. What do you think of them? Sometimes a fantasy still rock and roll to me. 